Welcome to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ, located in the Lehigh Valley of Pennsylvania. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman, and these podcasts are taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. We pray that they will bless you, and we would love for you to come visit us and make our church home, hopefully, become your church home. Here's what we have for today. All right, great to see you all here. I know you're all aware of this already, and prepare yourselves because I'm going to make the same stupid joke every single year for as long as I'm pastor here, so I'm just warning you now. But uh, Happy New Year, everybody. (laughs) Happy New Year. Today, (laughs) Today is the beginning of Advent, which for us means we begin our liturgical New Year, which means we are now... If you follow along with the readings, if you, some people like to do that for your personal devotions, if you like to follow along with the readings we'll be doing throughout the year, we are now in year C of the Revised Common Lectionary, which is a lectionary we use in concert with the multiple Christian denominations. So, um, yeah, Happy New Year. And if you read along with the lectionary, we are now in year C. <clears throat> now, I'm glad to actually get back into the lectionary uh, readings. Now that we've done all of these those series is at the beginning, or at the middle of summer and through fall, now we begin the season of Advent. And we began with the Old Testament reading from Jeremiah, where Jeremiah says, you know, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to Israel and to the house of Judah. And then he says, I'm going to cause that righteous branch from the house of David to spring up. And this righteous branch, right, he's going to execute justice, and he's going to execute righteousness in the land, and Judah and Jerusalem will be saved, and the name that the city will be named is the Lord is our righteousness. So this got me thinking as I was preparing. Last week in our readings, we had a reading from 2 Samuel. And in that reading from 2 Samuel, we hear the last words of King David before he dies. Before he dies, David actually says, the spirit of the Lord is essentially speaking through me. He's like, I'm giving an oracle, right? So he, David is essentially at the end of his life on his deathbed. He's prophesying. And he says some really interesting stuff. He says, the God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on cloudless mornings, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. For does not my house stand so with God? For he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For he will, for will he not cause to prosper all my help and my desires? From 2 Samuel 23, 3-5. And I started thinking about that reading from last week and the beginning of this reading from Jeremiah, which opens the Advent season for us. So when we compare these two texts a little bit, David is stating the covenant that God made with him, namely that his house would be everlasting. We see this play out, too, in the Old Testament, right? So even when Judah was wicked and should have been like the northern kingdom destroyed, um, there was a king named Jehoram. And instead of allowing bad things to happen to the nation, God allowed him to still be king and to still reign even though he was wicked. Why? Because of the promise he made to David. And so David says here, when the kings are just, and for David here, just means ruling in the fear of the Lord, things are good. Things will go right for the nation. Then he says, my house is like this. So he's saying, in other words, his house is 
his lineage rules justly and in the fear of the Lord. And this continues with Solomon, right? When we read the story of Solomon, and Solomon prospers even more than David, and Solomon builds the temple. And David describes this, right? Because of his ruling in the fear of God, Solomon is prospered. But this isn't the case with Solomon for his whole life, right? Because we know the story. And it's very sad because Solomon starts off so great, right? He starts off just, and he asks the Lord for wisdom. And God says, because you ask for wisdom and not for riches and long life, guess what? I'm going to give you what you ask for along with the riches and everything else that comes with that. I remember when I was a teenager, I always thought if I asked God to be smarter, maybe he would give me a lot of money and stuff so I could you know, buy a car to go out with my friends. But the idea here is reigning justly. But Solomon falls short, and David's descendants continue to fall short. Solomon maybe might come back to the Lord at the end of his, his life, but his son inherits the kingdom from Solomon, right? And we know the story, what happens. Solomon's son gets the kingdom ripped in half. Right? So he gets Judah, and then the other tribes, the nation of Israel goes off. So now Israel and Judah are divided. All right, now in that light, let's think of Jeremiah. So notice here the promise God made to Judah and Israel. Right? So this is a comprehensive promise Israel and Judah together. And God says something God Himself is going to act, God Himself is going to keep His promise. And God says, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David. And then God says, this branch will execute justice and righteousness. So God says, I am going to fulfill my promise, and I am going to cause a righteous branch to spring up for David. So remember what David said, when rulers are doing good, when they're doing their job in the fear of the Lord, then good things will happen to the ruler and to the people. And this Jeremiah passage, I think, teases out this idea a little bit by saying God himself is going to cause this righteous ruler to finally show up and rule in a way that demonstrates and disperses the blessing of God because this ruler, God himself, will raise up. And this ruler will save Judah and Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is the center where the king lives and where the priests work in the temple. And in a verse later, that's actually not in the reading, Jeremiah makes the statement about the priests never lacking the Levitical priests to offer sacrifices. So we have a link here between the kingship and the priesthood and how both are going to be doing the right thing. They're going to be doing what they should have been doing all along. And the city where this takes place will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. So we have this picture of spiritual and political rulers justly ruling and bringing the blessing of God upon the people. And God will raise up this branch, and this branch will bring the right reign of God to all. The messianic king is coming, and God will make it happen. And we see Jesus functioning in that role, right, of king in the lineage of David, but Jesus is also our high priest, Scripture says. So Jesus fulfills that dual role of both king and priest. And then in our epistle reading from 1 Thessalonians, St. Paul is writing to the church there, and he says, For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? And then he says in verse 11, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase 
and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Right? So the first reading we have is the promise. So now what we have in First Thessalonians here is present day experience for them, and this is where we find ourselves too. So we transition a little bit, right? Because right here, Jesus has come, he's died, and he's ascended and tasked his apostles with spreading the gospel. So while the first text deals with the promised coming of the Messiah from the Davidic line, this text deals with how that is beginning to play itself out in the world. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. God's promise to David has been kept. But Jesus does not take political power for himself or his followers. He sends them out into a hostile world to prepare the wider world for his return. Now, notice here, just like in the first reading in Jeremiah, God is the one who's going to be doing something, right? So God says, I will fulfill my promise. I will cause the righteous branch to come forth. Now, what he says here in Thessalonians, St. Paul says, God is going to direct our way back to you, right? Because Paul heard good things about them, and he and he. Timothy came and told him about the church, and so he's like, I want to go visit them again. So he's praying that God will direct him to them. But then he says, may God increase their love for one another. No, notice he doesn't say, you all need to grow in love for one another. Do it. And then kind of step back and not tell them how. And then he, he says, God will increase your love for one another. And then he says, God will establish your heart's as blameless and holiness. So he's talking about the work of God in them, that God is doing in their hearts. So like in the Jeremiah reading where God is keeping his promise, St. Paul is praying that the work of God will be manifest within them and will be revealed through them to each other and to others. God is going to increase their love. God is going to establish their hearts as holy and blameless. Why? So when they stand before him at the last day, they can stand with confidence. And notice what empowers us, brothers and sisters. Love. Love for each other and for all. Paul is hoping that this will not only be given, but they would abound in it. And like I said to the kids, abounding in love isn't just a little bit of love here and a little bit of love there. It's like, if you're a kid, this is probably amazing, a toy box that's overflowing with toys. There's so many toys, you can't contain all the toys in the toy box. Or a bathtub, like the analogy I gave with the bathtub that's overflowing with water because I fell asleep and let it overflow and then I had to clean it up and was late for work. Is that, am I the only one? Has that ever happened to anybody else? Probably. Yeah, <laughs> thanks for that. I can't be the only one. Maybe, maybe some of you have, have uh, adult children or teenage children that can... Anyway, whatever, it's fine. But the idea, right, is that love should abound in our hearts, that that love would come bubbling out, right? And that it's not something that we create ourselves, but that it's something that God has given to us as a gift, more love that you can handle, right? And this love is then expressed vertically to God and then horizontally to each other and to your neighbors. St. John Chrysostom commenting on this, he says something really interesting. For this truly is a nature of godly love that it embraces 
that it embraces all. And he says this because if God's love is abounding in us, then that love is what we will keep us from sin. And if we are kept from sin, we can stand in his presence with his saints. Chrysostom also says this, and this is beautiful. And there is not, there is not any sin which the power of love like fire cannot consume. For it is easier for a vile bundle of sticks to resist a great pile of fire than for the nature of sin to resist the power of love. I'm going to read that one more time because I thought that that was really good. And there is not, there is not any sin which the power of love like fire cannot consume. For it is easier for a vile bundle of sticks to resist a great pile of fire than for the nature of sin to resist the power of love. And so what he means here is he goes on and in his sermon he says, and then somebody asks me, well, what about this particular sin? How can the fire of God's love keep us from that? And he gives him an example. So what he's basically saying is this abounding in love, this gift of love that God has given to us in our hearts helps us to reorder ourselves. So when we are tempted by sin, the abounding love that's in us consumes that. And then we turn to the gospel reading in, the, in Luke. And then you might be thinking to yourself, this is an interesting reading, right? It's about the return of Jesus at the end of the age. You could, all, you could probably also interpret this as Jesus prophesying the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. But also, this is a description of his coming at the end of time. You might be thinking, well, that's an interesting reading for Advent. But what did we just hear about in the epistle reading? Well, we heard that God would cause them to abound in love, yes, for one another, so you can be blameless at the coming of the Lord. Now we move to this passage of Scripture speaking of the coming of the Lord itself. No one can know the exact time or day, but we have signs that speak to his coming return. But brothers and sisters, when you get that chain email or the video on YouTube where someone has claimed to crack the code about the return of Christ, don't believe them. Like I preached about this a while back when we did the creed about Jesus returning to judge the living and the dead. No one knows. No one will ever be able to figure it out. We will never be able to figure it out. So if somebody says they do, don't believe them. The powers of heaven will be shaken, and everyone is going to see Jesus returning, right, with the saints that have died before, them, before his return. We see him return in power, whoops, and glory. What are we to do? Luke says, lift up your heads in anticipation, in hope, and in love, right? So in the meantime, while we're here now, we are supposed to watch ourselves. Why? So we don't get tied up with the cares of this world, with the distractions of this life. Because if we don't, then the day of the Lord will come as a day of surprise for us. And it will not come as a day of hope, but a day of dread. We need to stay awake so we can stand before Christ. And like, like St. Paul says, do so with blameless hearts. And this return passage is meant to inspire kind of hope in us. And Luke says, St. Luke says, stay awake. Here's some signs can kind of help you 
figure, not, not figure out an exact time, but these signs help us to order our lives now in anticipation for the ultimate consummation, right? The coming of Jesus. So we have this three-part structure here in, in, from these readings, right? You have the promise, then you have our present experience, and then we have the consummation where Christ returns once again in glory to judge the living and the dead. So these three passages of Scripture give us a picture of the whole Advent and Christmas season. Jeremiah's references to the prophecy of the coming Savior. St. Paul's references for those who have experienced the coming of the Savior in his gospel and how God has then gifted them with love. And then St. Luke's reverence is prophecy for the future, the end of time, the eschaton, the end of the age, that the promise of the coming Savior who has come and brought the righteousness spoken of by Jeremiah will then come again to lead us all into final salvation. So we can say then these three passages are about salvation in three senses. The promise of coming salvation, our reception of that salvation, and our salvation fully realized. So like St. Paul says, or say St. Luke says, be alert, be on your guard. Because the first time Jesus came, he came in a way that nobody expected. There were signs, right? But it's interesting that only those who recognize the signs were outside of the covenant except for a few people. So Jesus' return will be completely opposite. The first time he came in humility and in secret. The second time he will return, the reading said, in what? In power and in glory with all of the saints behind him. This is not a humble entrance into the world in secret in a backwater country in the middle of nowhere. This is worldwide, or it doesn't matter, wherever you are in the world, you will see it and experience. So, like the scripture reminds us, be on our guard. And as we are on our guard, as we are awake, as we watch, let us then that love that God has given to us, that God has made abound in us, we can then use that love to help us resist sin and put to death the deeds of the flesh and also to live lives in service to God and then also showing the love of Christ and telling about the love of Christ to others. In this Advent season leading into Christmas, I know everybody wants to get to Christmas. Like we were watching Disney Junior the other day and it's like 25 days of Christmas. And I'm like, no, Christmas is 12 days, you guys. We're in Advent right now. And my wife rolls her eyes at me, right? Because I have it coming when she does. But it's not 25 days of Christmas. We're in Advent. <laughs> We're getting into Christmas. So like we heard in the readings, use this time of Advent, this time of preparation. Think about the promise of the coming Messiah. Think about our present lived experience as his people. And then think about, think about the consummation of all things, his return at the end of time. And then start to think about... And, and everybody talks about the season of waiting and, and anticipation. And yes, that's true. But I don't want to really kind of deal with that. What I'd like to say is, in this time, in this time of, of, of waiting and of, of anticipation, use the time wisely, right? As Christians, be on the lookout for friends, coworkers, family members, uh, that may need the love of Christ. I found this very interesting that Thanksgiving is the day when we're supposed to fight with all of our family members, but Christmas is the day when we're supposed to somehow magically get along with all of our families like one month later, 
<laughs> let's throw you all together at this holiday and you can, have, you can be mean to each other. And let's throw you together at this holiday you're supposed to love one another. No, love one another all the time. But think about that. This, this, this Advent season, where can I show the love of Christ? Whether it's to the food bank, whether it's to family members that are hurting, try and look out for people whose lives that you can touch with the love of Christ. Not just with a word, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, whatever, but with, with kindness, with Christian charity. And so to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, be all glory together with the Father who is from everlasting and is all holy, good, and life-giving spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. We have deep roots here in our community, and we predate the founding of the United States itself. If you're looking for a traditionally grounded, biblically faithful church, come visit us. We just might be the church you're looking for. If you'd like to email me, you can reach me at malandsman at gmail.com. Please be sure to check us out online, zionstoneucc.com, and check us out on Facebook at Zionstone UCC. Thanks again for listening, and God bless you.